0: pray Lord we do come to you tonight and thank you once again God for your grace in our lives thank you that we have a, a place a building to gather together in and Lord as we come we want to we want to like kind of shut the stuff outside that it will distract us and and pull us away and Lord we want to focus on you and your word and God we thank you so much that we have your word recorded for us they God, it never changes. We can go back when, when we need to and it's the same. And I pray tonight as we kind of hang out with a guy that had some, some pretty bizarre experiences and yet, God, you were moving through him, you were working through him to a generation of people that were, they were mixed up, Lord. And they were, they were ready to quit. They were ready to give it up. And God, you, you pulled this man uh, seemingly from nowhere, put him in their midst, gave him these visions that would encourage them and keep them going. So God, I pray it would do the same. Some of us tonight may feel like we wanna give up and quit and I pray that you would work in in those hearts and some of us, God, we're excited. Use Zechariah's visions and and exhortation to, to push us even further. So bless this time, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name amen hey we're kind of uh we did Zechariah chapter 1 and had the 4th of July break but if you remember Israel had come back from the promised land or from Babylon from the captivity and they had not all of them came some of them have hung out we're going to read about here in a minute but they came back they sort of got busy and then some of the nations around them, if you remember when we we're in Ezra, kind of came and said, Hey, you guys need to stop. We'll just we'll just put it that way. They began to hassle them. So then they backed off. And then God sent them Haggai that we looked at a, a few weeks ago and Zechariah to encourage them to keep going. You see, it's hard when opposition comes in but it's even harder when you've been in captivity that long we got to remember these guys some of them have never been to jerusalem before they were born in captivity Because they were there for 70 years. So they came out of that. And by the time they came out of that, the priesthood had kind of been lost. The things are messed up. The way of worship, that's where synagogues came from because they didn't have the temple. So a lot of stuff is kind of messed up. And they're coming back and they're trying to figure it out. And as I said, they got attacked by others. They, They laid the foundation for the temple and then they got attacked and they're going, hey, we need to back off. We need to regroup and we need to rethink what we're doing because the world was against them so Zechariah as we saw last time he had the vision of the four horsemen and and they came and then the Lord encouraged them and then he also talked about the four horns who were going to come against them if you remember and then the four craftsmen who are going to come and take care of the horns and ultimately here's what God's saying I got you covered I got this taken care of. And so tonight, we kind of move to another section, another division, if you will, and a different vision. Zechariah had 10 visions. So you talk about, listen, his book's not that long, 12 chapters, and he had a ton of visions going on that God was using him. And, you know, you look at him and you go, man, that guy, that guy had to be a little bit mixed up, I think, with so much going on. So it seems like one vision after another, after another, as God is speaking to him. So after he saw the, the four horns and the four craftsmen, verse one of chapter two says, then I raised my eyes. So I'm kind of thinking like it's just going like this, man. One after another, after another. And Zechariah has to go, and then he gets another one and kind of gets his breath, right? So he says he raised his eyes and looked And behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. So just imagine he's looking up, and wherever he's seeing this vision, I kind of think he's in the temple area where they're beginning to build. And and listen, he sees this guy measuring something. Now, here's what I know. If you're measuring my house, you better be planning on buying my house. Like you don't go in and measure somebody else's house, right? Right? Am I right? Like when you visit somebody, you don't go, hey, let me check things out here. No, I don't really like this room. I always like it when people say, make yourself at home. They don't mean it. (laughs) Did you make yourself at home, you rearrange everything. And they're like, why did you rearrange my living room? I don't like the way it was. I made myself at home. But really, when you think about, what is this about? Here's what's important, because I think we miss it. He sees a guy with a measuring line. What is that all about that is about possession that is about ownership and once again they're in that land and they've got these people coming against them hey Zechariah knows the other nations are around coming against them he knows what's happening he knows that they built for a while and stopped. And he knows that they're still building their homes and what's happening. So he sees this guy with a measuring line. And I think it kind of, listen, I think it did his heart some good. And then verse two, so I said, meaning meaning, uh, Zechariah said, where are you going? And he, the guy with the measuring line, by the way, we never find out who this guy was, right? Was it an angel? You know, we don't know. It's It's fun to read the commentaries and get them speculating on things. I think, just stop. Let's just call him the measure man, right? So listen, he says, Zechariah says to him, where are you going? He said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what its width and what its length. And once again, if you measure something, you own something. You don't measure things that aren't yours necessarily. So he's laying it out and he's measuring it. And then verse three tells us, and there was an, and there was the angel who talked with me, going out, and another angel was coming out to meet him. Now, now I'm getting a little bit mixed up as I see this vision. I, sometimes I wish it was more uh, of a video than reading. So you got the guy with the measuring line. Then you have the angel that was talking to him last chapter. Remember, there was an angel involved talking to him. And then you have an angel talking to that angel. There's a lot of characters going on, a lot of moving parts here as Zechariah is getting this vision and seeing these things. And, you know, for me, listen, for me, I think it makes it even a little bit more real because it gets more complicated. My wife some morning she comes in and she goes i had a dream last night and i say okay and then i get details and her dreams are quite vivid and she goes like and i'm going i shouldn't say this because she's sitting there because she's gonna get really mad but i sometimes i am going, here's what i hear blah 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 blah, blah, blah. <laughs> oh I know hey I'm being transparent here I know I'm gonna be in trouble but listen listen I know I care about her dreams but some of the details I really don't care about you know I mean she gets into what color of clothes people are wearing and I'm thinking it's a dream sometimes I tell her honey it's a dream sweetheart it's not reality so I'll probably never get told another one but hey <laughs> Think of Ezekiel's details, or Ezekiel, Zechariah's details that he's giving us, and he's talking about here, and he says, hey, man, he saw the angel coming out and meeting the other angel, and then verse 4 says, that one angel said to the other angel, he said to him, run, speak to this young man, saying Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls because of the multitude of men and livestock in it. So he's saying to the one angel, says to the other angel, measure man's gone, And one angel says to the other angel, go and run and say to the young man, now I think Zechariah probably likes that because I don't think he was that young, but go say to the young man, hey man, Jerusalem is gonna be huge, it's gonna be overpopulated and here's the cool thing, it's not gonna need any walls. Now again, for us in our culture, our generation, that doesn't make a lot of sense. In that generation, you had to have walls around your city. If you didn't have walls around your city, you were too vulnerable to the enemy and to others coming in. So walls were extremely important. And here's what, here's what the angel says, Jerusalem's not going to need any walls. So here's what I'm thinking. When I read that part without reading ahead, here's what I think. He's not talking about the Jerusalem they're building. He's talking about another time. And here's what I love, man. Zechariah now is going to go, in the next few verses, he's going to go from his generation building the temple all the way out to the millennium. And when Jesus comes back that we talked about this weekend, he's going to like go that far out as he sees this. And yet he doesn't tell us, hey, I'm not talking about now. I'm talking about way in the future. And we have to understand when these prophets do that. So listen, he said to him, go tell him he doesn't need walls. Verse 5, for for. I, says the Lord, will be the wall of fire around her and I will be the glory in her midst. Hallelujah, huh? Here's what God says. You don't need, you don't need any of that stuff when you have me. And I'm going to be there. And I'm going to be the glory in their midst. Now, here's what I know. Once again, he's talking about future. But now he comes back to the present. And verse 6, he says, Up, up, flee from the land of the north, says the Lord. For I have spread you abroad like the four winds of heaven, says the Lord. Up, Zion, escape you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. Here's what God's saying. Hey, you guys, get out of there. I set you free. Why are you still there? I think it's like a lot of us we're still we're stuck in our comfort zone we're stuck in our vocation we're stuck where it's easy where it's not difficult hey who wants to go to Jerusalem and have to build a whole city when you got some good stuff going on in Babylon why should I leave Babylon I I kind of have it made here and I love God But it's sort of nice here. Now, listen, some people really hassle about Daniel. I don't think Daniel stayed because it was cushy. Daniel was where God wanted Daniel to be. And Mordecai, and, and, you know, as we read on, those who were staying there and those who were there. But some people, some people kind of need a kick in the pants. And here's what God's saying. Get up and get going. What are you doing sitting there? Why are you there come out of there and then now he kind of speaks to the Messiah who's coming for thus says the Lord in verse 8 thus says the Lord of hosts he sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye now in in my translation that he sent me the me the m is capitalized And if you do, you know, if you do some inductive study on this, you figure out this is the Messiah. This is Jesus talking, right? The pre-incarnate Christ. He's talking, and here's what he's saying. He sent me to bring him glory as I bring those nations who have messed with Israel down. So, you know, it's kind of weird the way it's worded. He sent me after glory. It's kind of like this, you know, it kind of, we read it and we go, after glory means after the glory. No, here's what he's saying. He sent me to bring glory. He sent me after the glory so I would bring the glory to the Lord as those other nations were brought down who came against Israel. And I kind of like this. He says, why? He says, because he says for those who plunder you for he who touches Israel touches the apple of his eye again talking about that if you've heard it explained the pupil of the eye the very tenderest tender our eyes are pretty tender right most of us don't like poking things in our eyes it's fun watching people who get contacts for the first time they're like I remember I remember when I was trying to put some in it took me like an hour and you're in the office and they put you out front. Any of you do that? Any of you go get contacts for the first time? And they put you out front. They don't put you in a back room. They like stick you right so everybody can watch and have joy. And, and none of us like to touch our eye. And then finally you get used to it and it's like second nature. And you look at other people. Why are you struggling with that? Here, let me poke your eye, you know. But here's what God says, man, that tenderest of the tender part of the eye. That's who Israel is to him. And you don't mess with his people. And so God is saying, listen, man, I'm gonna come against those and I'm gonna plunder, and it's Jesus speaking. And then he says, verse nine, for surely I will shake my hand against them and they, will be, and they shall become spoiled for their servants and then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. So Jesus is talking about, listen, he's not talking about you know, in, in, uh, when these guys are coming back in 446 B.C., he's talking way in the future when Jesus is going to come and set up his kingdom. And he lets them know, hey, I'm coming, I'm going to do that. And then here's kind of the, the rejoicing in that verse 10. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. Now let's just stop and think about this for a moment. You're there and you're discouraged, And you're kind of sitting amongst a bunch of rubble. And you're thinking, I know, I know, listen, I know we should build this temple. But it's hard. And the nations are coming against us and they don't want us to build it. The world's saying no, and God is saying go. And you're discouraged, and all of a sudden, man, all of a sudden you get this crazy man. And he goes, I had a vision. Listen, I had a vision about some horsemen. I had a vision about some horns. I had a vision about some craftsmen. Then I had this really crazy vision about a guy with a measuring line and a couple angels talking. And then in that vision, the Lord said, Hey, don't mess with my people and he's saying now we need to rejoice think about how that's going to build you up as Zechariah is sharing this with that generation and with that culture these guys are are beat up and they're downcast and he's going hey you don't have to be that way listen man and as he begins to share I think that rejoicing begins to happen listen man people begin to rejoice and they understand that God is coming to dwell in their midst how good is that and then many verse 11 this is why i know he's talking about the millennium many nations shall be joined to the lord in that day and they shall become my people and i will dwell in your midst and then you will know that the lord of hosts has sent me to you again the messiah talking and when he comes listen it's not just going to be jews in jerusalem it's going to be multitude of nations and gathered together and the lord verse 12 and the lord will take possession of judah as his inheritance in the holy land and will again choose jerusalem be silent O f- all flesh for the lord for he is aroused from his holy uh, habitation so you get the idea man hey there's got to be a little bit of excitement going on let's build this up and let's get this going now i don't know about you guys but i think i could pick up a few rocks I could get some mortar going I could start stacking some stuff and you're going this is going to be so good man God is going to come and dwell hey let's get this finished so God has some place to go right and I know he doesn't dwell in places but listen man how exciting and the next time you're discouraged I want to challenge you read Zechariah chapter 2 and read what's going on because these were discouraged people oh and then chapter 3 I think gets even a little better chapter 3 says then he showed me Joshua so again it's then right notice notice the transitions here he sees this vision then he sees this vision now he sees another vision and again I think they're one after another and he's watching you know it's like it's like you know some people uh uh binge watch tv shows Zechariah's binge visioning and he's just like going through him, and he says, listen, man, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. Now, this had to be a little bit crazy, right? Then listen, think about this vision. He sees Joshua. He knows who Joshua is. Joshua's hanging out with him, right? He sees Joshua, but then in this vision, he's seeing Jesus next to him. But then on the other side of him, he's seeing Satan. And I don't know what form Satan looked like. I don't know if he, you know, I don't know if he had like a shirt. I am Satan. You know, I don't don't know what's going on. But he knew. Listen, Zechariah knew. And as he's seeing this vision, man, that had to be a little bit incredible, a little bit fearful, a little scary. Now, Satan translated means the slanderer, the accuser. So that's who's there. And man, this is a great vision for, I think, for any of us to think about. And then verse 2 says, and the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Here's what I love. Joshua's on trial. That's what's going on. Jesus is there as his defense attorney, right? And Satan is there as the prosecutor, bringing the charges against him. And I'm sure there was a lot of stuff you could say about Joshua. Just like there's a lot of stuff you could say about any one of us in this room. And he's bringing it up and hey, I love the idea that Jesus isn't just making intercession for us. He's also pleading our case by his blood. All he has to do is remind God, hey, those people are justified, why I died for them, I bled for them, they're clean. Hands off, right? And I kind of, I kind of love that idea. That's what I see going on here. And Joshua's, you know, and, and Zechariah seeing this, Joshua's involved. And then, and then I love this. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Hey, the Lord said to him, "I love the one thing that uh, I can't even think of his name right now. It went out of my head. Who founded Teen Challenge? Who was the guy who founded Teen Challenge? All oh, you guys drawing a blank?" Uh, David Wilkerson, thank you. I heard David, yeah. So David Wilkerson, when he wrote in the book, in the book about Teen Challenge and and him finding that, and uh, it's interesting, he said in that book, he goes, hey, when Satan knocks on the door of my heart, I turn around and say, Jesus, it's for you. <laughs> Remember that, because sometimes we think, oh, I'm gonna do this, and, and I love it when people think they're all that. And then, hey, if we ever had a direct encounter with Satan, we would lose control and i'm not talking about going crazy i'm talking about other control right so listen man the lord hey joshua listen carefully joshua didn't say i rebuke you it was the lord who said that i think joshua is there like this because here's someone saying all the truths about him hey whatever satan said was true and he can't deny it and he says, man, the Lord rebuke I love that. God's on our side, right? He says, the Lord rebuke you in verse 2. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not the brand plucked from the fire? Now, listen, now Joshua's up a notch, and he's not just representing Joshua. He's representing that whole nation of Israel, and that whole nation, listen, God says, I plucked them up like a brand out of a fire. God grabbed a hold of this, this nothing people and took them and made them something because he's God. Not because they were worthy, not because they were better than everybody else, not because they were better looking, not because they were special. It was just because God says, hey, those guys, those are the ones I'm gonna work through. And I love it when people get uptight. I tell them, you know what, then take it up with God. If you're that uptight about it, you talk to God about it. And hey, he says, hey, I plucked you out like a brand out of a fire. And then verse three says, now Joshua was, was clothed with filthy garments. Oh. You know what the literal translation of that is? Excrement-covered garments. Yeah, not just, not just dirty But aren't we all that way when we come before the Lord? Joshua didn't have anything, hey, as Satan accused him, he he couldn't defend himself because it was all true. He's got on those filthy, just nasty, nasty garments and he's standing there bare and exposed That'd be kind of miserable, and yet representing the nation, and we could even say representing each one of us in this room. And he's there, and, and listen, man, it says, and he was standing before the angel. And verse 4 says, then he answered and spoke to those who, who uh, stood before him, saying, this is the Lord, take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, see, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. Is that awesome or what? It wasn't because, listen, it wasn't because Joshua said, I don't deserve to have these filthy garments on. It wasn't because Joshua said, hey, he's sticking his stuff on me, and it's, it's nasty. God took his clothes off of him. Why? Because he's God and he took the filthy clothes off of him just like he does every single one of us and he put on the rich robes that's why i always like to say when people come to the lord that now now they have the robes of righteousness now things are changed and that's what jesus has done for every single one of us he's taken those off and and what a great mental picture i think if, if if, if I read this correctly, man, I think Zechariah has to be going, whoa, what is going on here, right? Well, he gets a little bit involved. We'll talk about that in a moment. But he says, listen, man, he's taken him off and he says, see, I've removed your iniquity from you and I will clothe you with rich robes. God has taken away all the iniquity, all of our iniquity. And he gives us robes of righteousness. And now you and I have an opportunity to be righteous to walk before him with a pure heart, with clean hands. Hey, before Jesus, before you accepted Jesus, you couldn't do that. Now it's opened up for you and God has stripped away all of the ugly and the nasty and put on beauty and perfection. And here, man, I, I, think, I think, listen, I think Zechariah took about all he could take, and I love this, man. And then verse 5 says, and I said, so Zechariah's getting a little involved, right? Like he's looking at this, and he's going, whoa, look at what just happened, man. He had on that stinky, nasty, funky stuff, and that's all gone. And he's got on some really, really, really happening threads right now. And Zechariah goes, oh, he needs one more thing, Right? He's got to have, what does he have? He says, look at verse five. I said, let them put the clean turban on his head. Remember the turban out of Exodus? I think it's Exodus like, I think it's 23 or 20. What? Read the whole book of Exodus. <laughs> remember the turban and he made the turban. Remember the plaque on it? Holy for the Lord. He says, put that on his head, right? And Lincoln, Zechariah's getting all involved here. Stick the turban on his head. Maybe he saw it stand. Get that turban, man. Put it on his head, right? So they put a clean turban on his head in the middle of verse 5, and they put the clothes on him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. Man, hey, this had to be great. And I think the angel of the Lord, meaning the pre-incarnate Christ, I think he looked at Satan and said, what do you got to say now? Buddy, This is my guy, and I think Jesus does that for every one of us. He's our defender. Hey, when Satan makes accusations that are completely true, and 100% of the things we do, Jesus is there not in the sense of pleading with God because God, the Father, and Jesus are on the same side. But Jesus is there saying, hey, remember, remember, they're mine. Hey, here's the hole in my side. Here's the scars. The only thing Jesus took to heaven from this planet were scars. They're mine. I bought them. I paid for them. They're good. I'll take care of that. And it's taken care of, man. And I love this scene. And I, I, for one, I think if, if I were Zechariah, I think I would just come undone right here. I would say, I don't need any more visions. That's enough. Let's just build the temple. Let's just go on because, I, hey, I'm good. And I'll convince these people that they're good, you know, that they had enough. Not that they're good people, but they had enough. But we need to understand, man, listen, none of this happened to Joshua because Joshua was a good guy. All of this happened to Joshua because God is good. And because God took care of him, and because God put those on him, he didn't look at Joshua and say, "Man, here's what I need. I need you." He took it and put it on Joshua. Why? Because Joshua is is uh, uh, because God is good. Listen to what listen to what one commentator said. It's not because of the righteousness of God's people, nor because of the blessedness of or, or the baselessness of Satan's claims, nor because the nation has already suffered much for their sin nor because of a promise to do better in the future. The sole plea for God's people lies in God's sovereign choice in grace. It is basically and fundamentally a matter of God's infinite graceful choice. It's Charles Feinberg, great guy on the the Minor Prophets. Listen, man, and so we get this picture now. Listen, now it goes a little bit further, and he says, verse 6, Then the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts. So, hey, it's one thing, listen carefully, it's one thing to get those new robes. It's a whole different thing to do something with them. You see, God gives us a gift of salvation and he didn't save us just so we could become quads for Christ. He saved us, listen, he saved us for a reason to be light in the darkness, to make a difference in this world, to represent him, to shine for him. So, hey, he didn't give Joshua these clean clothes. So, Joshua, you go, check this out, man. All right, look, great. Look at my hat. Listen, it says, the angel of the Lord said to him, verse seven, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you walk in my ways, and if you will keep my command, then you shall also judge my house and likewise have charge of my courts, and I will give you places to walk among those who stand here. Here's what he's saying, Joshua. He's saying, hey, I cleaned you up. I cleaned you up for a reason. Because you need to get busy. You need to get these people where they need to be. Hey, these people have lost their faith. They've lost their way. It's still back in the old Jerusalem that just has been trashed that you guys are standing in the midst of. And they haven't regained it, so here's what you need to do, man. You need to walk in my ways. You need to be an example to them. You know, I think one of the worst things to do is preach at people and not do what you're saying. That's why I'm not real preachy. It bothers me, I, I, I personally don't like to get preached at. Lead me, show me, guide me. And here's what he's saying, Joshua, you walk in my ways. Don't go tell them to walk in my ways, you walk in my ways. You start it, you start this whole revolution in this, in this place here in Jerusalem of these people building a temple. You walk in my ways, you keep my commands and then you have the right to judge the people. Then you have the right, he says, to walk in my courts and, and show them and you'll have a place among the people and the people will look at you, Joshua, and say, yes, let's get this stinking temple built, man. Let's show the world who we are. And that's what happens if you read the the rest of the book of Ezra. But back here, he says, verse 8, And hear, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you. So now God is, again, going to kind of take them out into a place. And he says, hey, I want you guys to hear. He says, you and your companions, for they are a wondrous sign. For behold, I am bringing forth my servant, The branch. So here's what he's saying, man. God is ready to do something, right? And he says, hey, I'm going to bring forth my servant. I'm going to bring forth the branch, and then he also says, "For behold, the stone that uh, that I have laid before Joshua uh, upon the stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave an in inscription," says the Lord of hosts, "and I will remove the iniquity of that land uh, uh, of that land in one day." So here's what the Lord is saying, Joshua, you do this, you and your people, if you follow me. You're going to see something marvelous in your sight. And here's what I find. As we're obedient to God, God shows us more. And as we're obedient to that, he shows us more. And it gets greater and greater and grander and grander as we walk with him. And then, hey, some of the things that come your way are absolutely unbelievable. And I'm not just talking about seeing visions. I'm talking about walking with him and seeing what he's doing and being involved in that. And he says, hey, you guys are going to see the branch. Now, the branch, here's some scriptures describing uh, Jesus as uh, as the servant first. The servant, Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49, 50, 53. So listen, man, you can look those up and I'm keeping most of these Old Testament because that's what they would have had. And as he says, servant, man, these things would have started going in their head. Oh, I know what he's talking about. And then as he says, the branch, here's some more going on is Isaiah 4 and uh, 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 and, uh, 11 and Jeremiah 23 and 33 and Zechariah later on in chapter 6. Man, these things would have been ringing to them. And so listen, it's not just just sayings. It's like, oh, I know what he's talking about. He's talking about the Messiah. He's talking about the one who's going to come and rule and reign. And then lastly, as he talks about the stone... Hey, the stone, most of us uh, know from uh, Psalm 118 and then, and then uh, Daniel uh, chapter 2 and then uh, Matthew 21, Romans 9 and, and First Peter chapter 2. All of us talking, and some of these are New Testament, but definitely Daniel, they would have had that in their heads. And here's what I love, man. He says, listen, the branch we get, the servant we get, but then he says, man, I'm gonna have a stone that I've laid before Joshua, and upon the stone are seven eyes, and behold, I will grave its inscription. Man, you read that, and here's what I get. That would be one weird rock. Now, some people say it's seven, you know, uh, facets of a stone, and, and and it's a now it's a gem. I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think he's talking about the stone being Jesus, and Jesus is all seeing, all knowing, omniscient. And when he talks about the inscription, listen, what's written on him is Lord of Hosts. So so listen, I think that's going down, and then and then he ends this with this verse verse ten. In that day, says the Lord of Hosts, everyone will invite his neighbor under his fig tree and i'm sorry under his vine and under his fig tree in that day in that day again the the two agricultural things that represent israel but it's even greater than that in that day there will be such peace that you can tell people hey come and sit under my vine sit under my fig tree we don't have to worry anymore about all of these nations coming against us we have perfect peace why because we have we have the king of kings and the lord of lords in our midst and we don't have to fret we don't have to worry we don't have to be involved in those things so you and i need to understand here's the great thing man these people are hurting they're bummed they're discouraged and god knows that And God sends him this prophet. And I think maybe even Zechariah himself was a little bummed, a little discouraged, a little bit overwhelmed. And God says, I can fix that. And God first gives Zechariah the vision and then Zechariah gives the people the vision. And basically Zechariah in chapter three just sees Joshua changed by the Lord. Listen, Joshua didn't go to heaven, didn't literally stand and go through all of that. It's just what the change in Joshua's life and Zechariah got to see that from a spiritual sense. So you and I need to know something, man. God is involved in spite of what it looks like, in spite of how tough it gets, in spite of how difficult it is, even when everything around you is coming against you. God is on your side. Trust him. Believe him. Stand with him. And he may even send a Zechariah to you. He says, dude, I had a vision. And he begins to tell you those things. Let's stand up and pray. Lord, we do thank you tonight for your word and the challenge that we have in your word. And God, I pray that as we, as we get ready now for communion and to come to your table, I pray, God, that you would touch our hearts. And I thank you that you've taken every single one of us in this room who know you, who claim you, that you've taken us out of those filthy rags and you put our feet upon a rock and you clothed us in your righteousness and that tonight we can come and we can come to your table just like Joshua, we can come to your table with the really, really nice robes on and with that in our heart holy to the Lord. And God, as we come and worship you, that you would be glorified, that our hearts would be encouraged, and that we, your people, would get up as you commanded these people, that we would get up and we would honor you with the things we do and the things we say. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.